You're listening to Feral Attraction. Hosted by Metrico and Vera of the Science College. On today's show, we open with a discussion on why millennials are having less sex than previous generations. Our main topic is on hookup app etiquette. How should you act and what should you expect with hookup applications? We have a question on BDSM and sex-positive therapy, and we close with comments on last week's opening discussion. Hello again, and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vera the Science Collie. So, Vero, there was recently a study that came out, and I know that we, we kind of spoke about it on our Twitter, and it's been commonly shared, but I wanted to discuss it a little bit more you know, on the top of the show, and it was a Washington Post article that looked into a study that um, asked the question, why are more millennials avoiding sex? Right, and I think it's you know kind of an interesting question. And probably isn't something that we see much of from the perspective of being within the furry fandom, which is a fairly, I think, um, sexually liberated, I guess, sort of <laughs> fandom. Right. Um, but I think overall, millennials, according to the article, and I think you know, there's some truth to this, there's a, a bit of a failure to launch syndrome going on with millennials where more and more people in our age group and a bit below are choosing to live at home for longer periods of time, mm-hmm. are delaying things like getting married, getting their own apartment. Um, getting, uh, you know, having a baby, all of these types of things. So it makes sense that along with all those other kind of delays in standard, you know, life progression, that uh, having sex is also getting lumped in with those. Um, I think, too, um, the article cites a few other things like greener pasture syndrome, the idea that uh, millennials are a little bit uh, spoiled in terms of their sexual expectations based on pornography. And the fact that uh, what we're talking about today, hookup apps can kind of uh, encourage you to keep keep trying for something better, to kind of keep fishing for the perfect ultimate uh, mate, whether that's you know sexually perfect or in other in other ways. But um, there's this temptation to keep looking forever. So I think we'll get into a little bit of that today, talking about, uh, about hookup apps on the show. But I think that's an interesting point that they make in this article. And uh, one other um, topic that they kind of touch on is this idea that there's nothing magical about sex, that millennials are kind of realizing that it's just a thing you can do. And they actually quote someone as saying that, why would I want to have sex when I can sit around watching YouTube videos, which I think is pretty darn good <laughs> PR for YouTube. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what it says about this guy's uh, sexual prowess uh, or lack thereof. But um, yeah, so that's, that's definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. Too. I mean, there's a there's the idea, and there's probably a gem of truth to that, where you know millennials have a lot of uh, more ways of entertaining themselves than previous generations may have, and that you know some forms of uh, entertainment can are more readily available than you know all the ardour of going out to find a sexual partner. Um, but I mean, obviously, a lot of people are still doing it. So, and there's more and more ways to find people than ever, as we're going to talk about on today's show. So, I think it's an interesting article. But whether it actually you know, has much relevance for uh, furries listening to our podcast is probably another question. Right. Well, it is kind of interesting to look at from you know a, a top-down perspective. Is 
you know, and this is something that can sometimes even affect, you know, the fandom. Um, a lot of people are choosing with, with uh, going back to the idea of somebody would rather watch YouTube than go on a date. We do kind of live in an, in an age of instant gratification where there's no need to put in the work to find sexual release because you can just type in a few keywords and you've got porn out to wazoo. There's no need to kind of chase people because you you want, want to have sex. Um, there's no need to sit through activities that you want to that that you typically wouldn't want to. You know, a lot of guys they find the idea of going on a romantic date and dinner and a movie and talking about your feelings and that sort of stuff. They're not really interested in that. Um, for a lot of other people, um, and you see this a lot in Eastern cultures, there is such a pressure to succeed and perform where. People are, well, you have to be able to succeed at your job. You need to climb up, you know, the ranks within your your employment status. You're, you start out as just a salary man and you're working days and days and days. This is really popular, especially in startups here in New York City, where you work at a job and you're there 16 hours a day. You don't have time for love. There's no time for love, Dr. Jones. You know, you, you got to focus on your work. So a lot of... You know, societal pressures, economic pressures have a major role to play in this as well. Some of it can impact the fandom in the sense that we, we do live in an age where we're able to communicate instantly. We're able to form bond, you know, form bonds and friendships over Twitter and instant messenger and things of that nature. And so the idea, the, the thrill of the hunt, you know, even though some wolves might you know, no, we're totally down with that idea. We're totally down with predator and prey. <laughs> you know, it could be it could be just an overall societal issue. And you know, with some furries, especially those that live, you know, and still live at home, that can be an issue. Um, finding places to to have sex can also be an issue. Um, back in the day, if you wanted to, you know, make out, you might go to make out point and get it on in your convertible while you look over the city. Well. They're cracking down on that now. It's instead of just, you know, the cops being like, ah, kids will be kids. Now a lot of police are starting to charge if they find you having a little bit of fun and, you know, sexual activity in your car or outside or in a park. They're really beginning to crack down on sex being done outside of the context of the home. So for some people, it's the location. They still live at home. They're 26. The job market sucks. They have a degree and it's not useful for them. For some, it might be the pressure to succeed at their job. You know, it's there are a lot of other factors. Again, with, with, with the fandom, we do tend to have a little bit more of perhaps an overtly sexual nature. And it is perhaps a little bit easier to to find willing participants in your sexual proclivities. But... For the most part, society, you know, this has been a general trend. People are just having less sex because there's less time, there's less money, and there's less resources. You have to be kind of selfish in this kind of an environment. Uh, but I mean, but, one thing the fandom has that, mm -hmm. you know, others don't is, you know, fur cons, which are kind of the perfect environment. If you are looking to, you know, participate in you know, sexual exploration, uh, conventions with their kind of vacation atmosphere and, you know, bringing together of many, many individuals who, you know, otherwise would be, you know, spread by the diaspora of the internet. Um, you know, we do have that resource mm -hmm. available to us, which a lot of people don't. So I think, you know, once right. you've been a few fur cons, 
Um, you know, at that point, I would say, you know, being a virgin is certainly a choice you're making. <laughs> if you're, you know, if you're out there, um, you're, you're definitely turning down opportunities by that point for the, for the majority of people. So, um, you know, that's kind of an interesting thing to think about that, you know, maybe, maybe more mundane people need to be going to fur cons. This is really the takeaway message I'm getting from this article. Right. And if you're finding that you are kind of not, if you're looking and you're not finding at Furcons, maybe listen to our previous episode. Maybe you're not putting your best foot forward and coming off as a bit of a desperate, creepy stalker. Uh, <laughs> I've seen those types at cons as well. So, but no, there really is no shortage of sexual opportunity at conventions or meetups or anything of that nature. So, you know, the furry fandom is uniquely enriched in sexual opportunities. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to deny the existence <laughs> of people who are involuntarily celibate and, you know, sometimes through no fault of their own, um, that can totally be a thing, too. So I mean, those of you people who are looking and not finding, we do emphasize with you. But we're kind of talking about, you know, the vast majority of people. We kind of have to talk to the 90 percent in this case. And that's I think, right. what, we're, what we're talking about. But um, OK, so I think that pretty much wraps up our intro topic. Shall we just dive into our main topic? Yeah, I was actually about to segue right into it. So it's not only fur cons that you can go to in order to find maybe more casual sex. And in today's digital age of smartphones and social media, there are plenty of phone applications that you can use just to find a quick, you know, blow and go a quick, you know, little handy here and there. Um, popular hookup apps and a lot of people you know these have taken off um i remember when these started popping up and thought wow these these will never work uh this was back in the day of course of people using craigslist personals and cd back page uh advertisements and local newspapers and publications that sort of thing when yeah my first sexual experiences were actually craigslist hookups which i do not recommend to anyone ever. <laughs> that was yeah, the dark think, that was the dark ages of my sexual uh life i would say yeah and but, i mean uh, this was we moved on fortunately for most, the majority of us have anyway right and i mean this was even during the infancy of online dating when really you had eHarmony as the main one and good luck if you happen to be gay so or or have any kind of expression of of any Thing other than sex in the missionary position solely for the purpose of having kids. <laughs> right. I think transsexuals and uh, polyamorous individuals were also pretty thoroughly left out by those early efforts. That's to say the least, right? Right. And then hookup apps started happening and other more, we'll say, um, inclusive websites started popping up. But really, hookup apps just took hold and really, you know, a lot of behaviors started to emerge because going back to the idea of everything is instantaneous, everything is instant gratification, there's no delayed go, go, go. A lot of behaviors started to emerge from people that were using these hookup apps, that were being rejected from these hookup apps. And you know, we're going to talk about less about the history of hookup apps and more about how to use them and What's the best practice in using them, and how do you handle it when people just aren't that interested in you on, you know, the internet? When probably in real life you're 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 a good-looking guy or gal, and you have no shortage of, you know, opportunities to date, but you're not looking for a one-life stand. You just need a one-night stand. 
So when we talk about hookup apps, um, common, you know, common hookup apps that you might have heard of, uh, Grinder is probably the one that everybody, you know, talks about, at least in the gay community and also in the trans community. Grinder is pretty popular. Uh, Tinder is kind of the, oh, it was started at least as the heterosexual counterpart, and now it's pretty open for everybody. And then you have other ones that are more geared towards, um, specific interests like Scruff, Recon, um, more general uses, Hornet and Jacked. Um, there's one for furries, Pounced. Um, there's also ones uh, Down and Pure that tend to be, again, strictly for heterosexuals. And some communities themselves have their own independent apps. Um, there's apps if you're Jewish and you only want to meet Jewish men or women, um, African-Americans and Black people at large throughout the world have them. So each community has their own version of a hookup app. And for any kind of fringe interest, for any kind of sexual interest, there's going to be an application that you can use in order to interface with people that you're interested in, that are also interested in this in- interested in this interest. Wow, that's how many more times can I say the word interest? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if if you have a specific kink, let's say that you're really into BDSM. There's going to be an app for BDSM that you can find other community members. Maybe you want to have a scene, but you don't want to, you know, the next meetup isn't for a week and you're really horny right now. There are plenty of applications for everything. And it's important to, you know, know what you're looking for before you just dive blindly into using a hookup app. Um, hookup apps are used for many different things. Um, and, and, you know, while each independent hookup app has its own intended use, overall, there is an intended purpose for hookup apps. Right. And I think it's kind of obvious from the name what that might be, but I think there's a <laughs> bit more nuance to it than that, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so pretty much, I mean, the, the overall idea besides, you know, having sex is you want to meet people, right? You, you, you you want to meet somebody and some people for some people that is to have sex for some people, you know, that's to find somebody that has a compatible interest with you. Maybe you just want to, you really, really love Japanese role play and you want to talk about your interests with somebody. Um, maybe you pursue sexual activity and they become a sexual partner. Maybe not. Um, for some people it's, you know, it's completely fine to be on a hookup app. It's completely fine to post on Tinder. And I mean, I'm not entirely sure about the community guidelines because um, it requires a Facebook and I, I, <laughs> I don't Tinder and I just, we're not, we're never, ever, ever going to be friends. But I would imagine, you know, you can just post sexy pictures of you in bathing suits or, you know, near nude and just, Oh, look how buff I am. Look how awesome I am. Look, look how attractive I am. Maybe you're curvy and you want to show off your curves. You know, a lot of hookup apps can be used just to kind of show off and flirt with other people and talk about how attractive you find each other. And it could be a mutual appreciation society. You know, some people use it for sexting. It's, it's really popular for that because back in the day, uh, Back in Instant Messenger, you would have to join a chat room and you would have to find people based off of profile names. And it took a little bit more work and a little bit more setup. And 
a dial-up modem, and nowadays you can just open your phone and just say, hey, I'm feeling good today, look at my pecs, or, you know, for some people, hey, I'm feeling really good today, look at my asshole. <laughs> and everybody could be like, wow, that's nice. <laughs> right, I think, you know, I will say, and we'll, we'll probably get into this a bit more when we're talking about the misuse of hookup apps in a bit, um, but generally speaking, I think, you know, it is important to remember that the hookup app is ideally with the intention of actually meeting up with people. And I think some people, you know, kind of get lost in that joy of sexting and can kind of get stuck, perhaps even leading people on a bit more than they ought to, um, with the idea that there's actually no opportunity to, to meet up with that person. And I think, you know, it really depends on how much, you know, you're doing the sexting and what, you know, in what ways you're employing that, whether or not you're misusing the hookup app by mm-hmm. using it for that activity. Uh, for most people, uh, sexting can either be an independent activity or it can be sexting leading to with the intention of actually meeting up. I, I kind of draw a distinction between flirting and flirting with intent. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. ideally the, the purpose of the flirting on the hookup app should be flirting with intent. And that's what most people are going to be there for. But there are plenty of people, whether it's a good idea or not, who are just there to flirt and don't actually have any intention of meeting up with people. So I think you know, one of the things that people who use hookup apps frequently have to get good at is determining who the flakes who aren't actually looking to meet up are and kind of sifting those out from the people that they're actually pursuing. Uh, and that's right. that you, know, you have to kind of get used to if you start using hookup apps regularly. Personally, I don't feel like using it just to sext is really the best idea, uh, especially within the furry fandom. There are places to do that that aren't hookup apps. You might want to consider going over to F-List and setting up a role-play account if you are just looking to, you know, kind of chat in a sexy way and not really, you know, do anything beyond that. Uh, I do think it can be an abuse of, of hookup apps to engage just in that kind of flirting if you are getting to the point where you're leading people on. But we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. Right. And... You know, kind of, I guess we'll digress for a moment on that. Um, There has been, you know, some discussion on people that just want to use it for the purpose of sexting. And I know that there was a Savage Love um, episode where Dan Savage discussed it. And, you know, the, the, the overall consensus is if you're going to use a hookup app just for naughty talk and trading pictures, you want to be as, you want to disclose that. You don't want to lead people on. And we'll get into that more later. But, if you're going to use it solely for sexting or naughty talk, then put it in your profile. I have no intention of meeting up. I'm just here to, you know, talk dirty, talk. dirty and yeah, right. you know, trade pictures. And it's completely fine to do that. And you should feel no hesitation in doing that. You just want to disclose that information as early as possible. Right, because someone you want to get to the point with someone where they've spent two or three hours getting you off with the idea that, oh, can we meet up this week? And then you just kind of ghost on them. That's kind of using that person, right? Right. Or you want to avoid that kind of thing. It's kind of what we're getting at. Yeah, there is a there is the idea that using these kinds of applications is for networking. And you often see that as an option. Why are you here for short-term, for long-term, casual, no strings attached, networking, that sort of thing? And any kind of social interaction, you are networking with an individual, whether it's for a brief, you know, two ships that cross in the night or whether it's for a lifelong, you know, uh, a partnership. And it's important to keep that in mind. You are talking to presumably a real person on the other, you know, on their phone or the other side of the screen. And you want to make sure that you're not leaving them high and out to dry, uh, whether it's 
sexting, talking dirty, or even using them for information. There, there is, there are a lot of communities, uh, a lot of hookup apps that exist uh, for for more of the kinky or fetishy plays. Uh, BDSM strikes as probably the largest one, and there there is a group that you can reach out to and say, hey, I'm interested in getting into this kind of play. Can you help me out? You want to make sure that you cultivate you know, some kind of a friendship or a relationship with the people that you're inquiring because you are joining a community. Uh, when it comes to more of the um, experienced varsity level sorts of kinks or fetishes, and you want to make sure that you keep them as a resource and you don't just say, okay, well, thank you, bye. Be clear in your intentions when it comes to reaching out to people. Be clear in your expectations with each other. Uh, that's going to really help you out uh, with the intended purpose of meeting people, interfacing with people, maybe fucking other people. It's completely fine, and that's really the intended purpose. A lot of people that will misuse um, these hookup apps, kind of like what we were talking about. Um, they'll use it to lead people on to... They get off on the idea of sexting with somebody, having some dirty talk with somebody, and then just ghosting them and, and pretending that they don't exist. And, well, my needs were met, and I don't really care about yours, and I have no intention of meeting up with you, even though I never told you that. And it's not my fault that your expectations were where they were, because, eh, you know, it's a hookup app. What do you expect? People ghost all the time. A lot of people have that mentality, and it's a really shitty mentality. Even if it's if you meet up in person and you have sex, you want to be clear. Is this just going to be a one-night, no-strings-attached? You don't have to buy me breakfast. I don't plan on staying over. We don't have to pretend to be friends. We just want to get off and then go home. Be clear in that sort of thing, because otherwise you're misusing not only the intent of the application, but you're also using other people, and that's kind of a really bad thing to do. It's, it's highly unethical. Right, exactly. That kind of, that's basically where I draw the line. If you don't want to be right. doing anything that other people will feel like you're taking advantage of them or, or using them. Right. Um, another, another thing that I see that uh, when people often misuse hookup apps, um, and this is going to be a qualified statement, but in general, you're not going on Grindr, you're not going on Tinder for a long-term relationship. Most of the people that are going to be there, they're not looking for something long-term. They're looking for something a little bit more casual, something where they can have one night, maybe a few hookups. Maybe you're just kind of a fuck buddy that they can contact you know, every now and then for a little bit of release, a little bit of mutual release. Certainly, you can find relationships on Grindr. I, I certainly have, and they've been wonderful relationships with wonderful people. However, going into a hookup app with the idea of, I'm going to find my girlfriend or husband or wife or whatever, that's a little bit misguided, and you probably want to avoid that. Set your expectations at the level of the resource that you're using. Uh, right, exactly. I think it's you know fairly well understood that you know, it's certainly possible for a hookup to turn into a relationship if you really hit it off with the person that you are casually meeting up with. However, you shouldn't expect every casual hookup to turn into a relationship because that's not what either of you officially signed up for, right? Right, precisely. It's 
you know, there are expectations that are given and you want to hold to those expectations. And if those expectations mutually change, then hey, so be it. That's great. And congratulations. Um, another thing is just because you agree to meet up with somebody doesn't mean that you're going to have sex. We're talking about expectations here. Let's say that you hit it off with somebody on Grinder, and it's like, yeah, no, we let, let's let's do this. And then you meet up, and there's well, there was a mental attraction. There's just no physical attraction. It's completely fine to say, well, I'm not, you know, we're not feeling it, so we we shouldn't feel obligated to have sex. Or maybe you meet up, and they're kind of skeevy. You don't have to follow through. There's this idea that. Once you agree to meet up with somebody to hook up, that there is some kind of an ironclad legal agreement between you, your hookup partner or partners, and the service that you're using that you have to culminate in, in some form of fucking. Uh, this, <laughs> there, there, there's, there's no need for that if you find that there's just – it's a great idea, but it's a great theory, but in practice, it doesn't get your dick hard. It doesn't get your pussy wet. Then you don't need to follow through with it. Um, yeah, and I think that's really important. You never, this is just important in general to get that point across. You are never, ever, 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 ever obligated to have sex. That's just not a thing that exists. So you do not think that, oh, this person drove all the way here, or oh, you know, I wasted this person's time, now I have to do this. No, that's not how it works. There's this, you need to be able to maintain your boundaries, and if for whatever reason it just doesn't feel right when you finally get down to business, you're allowed to say no, you're allowed to say sorry, this isn't working for me, and you are allowed to just fucking leave or kick the person out. That's totally within your rights and you should feel no uh, qualms about doing that. It might be a little bit socially awkward, but you really don't want to put yourself in the situation of ha- having regret sex or essentially mm-hmm. you know, allowing yourself to be raped because you feel like you were obligated. Do not put yourself in that position and don't let hookup apps enable you to put you in that position. Right. That being said, there's also kind of an inverse, and you do see this sometimes with some people, um, where they agree to meet up with somebody, and they have no intent of of actually following through. They're just going to meet up with somebody and reject them in person because they get off on that idea. They get off on the idea of exerting power and control and kind of humiliating or shaming others. Uh, you don't want to become that, and even on top of that, you don't want to use hookup apps as as a venue to to put down other people or reject them simply because you want to feel superior. Let's say that you have, you know, what you consider to be a perfect body and you deliberately seek out people that you find to just be repulsive in order to say, "Well, you're fat, you're ugly, you're disgusting. Oh my god, who would ever love you?" Or you do that in a public place or a public setting or to their face. You don't you want you don't want to do that. Some people do this because yet again they get off on the idea of den- you know, of denigrating other people, of making fun of other people, and making other people feel bad or ashamed. And if it's not a mutual agreement to to subject one of the, you know, parties to humiliation, don't bring that into play. Don't don't humiliate other people because you enjoy that and don't make them unwitting and unwilling participants in your, you know, kinky play. It's, it's really bad behavior. Um, I, 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 I don't really, I know I come off a little bit strongly about that, but I see that a lot on hookup apps where people are just so over the top in 
making other people feel bad because they want to feel superior because, well, you're not my type, so I'm going to make fun of you and I'm going to call you ugly or disgusting, or maybe you have other sexual interests than I do or interests in general. Maybe you talk in your profile about having you know, a, a sexual interest in feet or women in heels, and that's gross and disgusting, so I'm going to kink shame you for a bit because I feel better about myself doing that. Don't do that. Don't shame other people for their sexual interests. Don't shame other people because they're not what you're looking for. It, it, it's, it's bullshit, and it is a shitty attitude, and it's shitty play, and it points to a shitty person. Don't be shitty. Yeah, I mean, again, I think as furries, you know, this is something you should t- especially keep in mind uh, just because, you know, it's something that, you know, very easily someone could probably shame you if they were aware of the fact that you were, you know, overtly furry. And, you know, you don't want to be putting other people in that position of feeling like you're you know, rejecting their identities because, you know, you're not sexually interested in them. It's totally fine to not be sexually interested in someone, but you don't have to do that in a way that makes that person feel bad about it. Yeah, and... You know, within furry, it is kind of fun to make fun of people for their the the species that they are, and that that's good fun as long as it remains good fun. If you want to call somebody a stinky wolf if you're flirting with them, then that's fine. As long as everybody is enjoying themselves, that's great. I mean, I, I think I've called Vero a smelly collie a few times, and <laughs> we both kind of laugh about it. And I mean, if you've seen our Twitter uh, feed back and forth, he's pretty much called me like what was that one image you sent me about like how pandas are always going to be alone (laughs) yeah the forever alone panda yeah yeah forever like pandas are forever alone and it's fun and we laugh about that but always keep in mind that if somebody asks you to stop it's a good idea to stop and don't pursue that that level of conversation maybe you know it's it's the they're just kind of tired of hearing about it. Oh, you're a fox. You must be a subby little bitch. Just if they say, yeah, that's funny, but maybe we can talk about something else. Talk about something else. You know, take clues from other people. Don't misuse them to shame other people for, you know, things that in some cases are out of their control or things that are within their control, but they choose as a personal preference. So just keep that in mind because you see that, you know, very often, both inside of the fandom and outside of the fandom, you don't want to be a source of needless drama. Um, what? Drama in my fandom? <laughs> yeah, there's no drama in my good Christian fandom. Oh, hell no. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and we have already discussed the idea of leading people on for your amusement or, you know, uh, just... I want to reiterate that again. Don't do that. Don't toy with people's emotions and expectations. Don't toy with people's levels of investment. As long as they're showing good and, you know, don't, just don't be shitty. (laughs) I know I've said it before. Just don't be a shitty person because the world is full of shitty people. Don't, don't contribute to the level of shit, please. That's all I ask. And, and anybody, um, I've had several acquaintances that exhibited this kind of behavior that would shame people for their own amusements would, and, and would put themselves in the positions to be able to shame them. Uh, for example, there's somebody that I was acquainted with that would go to um, 
fur cons in order to go to room parties and shame the people that were at the parties for having sex or using bad dragon toys. Like, oh my god, you're disgusting. Oh my god, ew, 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 gross, ew, ew, orgies, you're all disgusting, furries are disgusting. And um so so first off, why would you pay money to do that? But secondly, why are you doing that? What do you get out of that? Is it some kind of perverse self-amusement or self-pleasure? Don't be like that. Don't be a shitty person. Don't go out of your way to make other people feel shitty. And if you find that you continue to put yourself in the position where the only way that you're able to get amusement out of something is to make fun of other participants, maybe you don't participate. Maybe you keep yourself away from that. Maybe you just decide, hey, I don't get anything out of this other than making fun of other people. Maybe you find some other more constructive use of your time. Hookup apps are not for everybody. That's another way that they're misused. People yeah, so- that's true. Oops, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, 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 no. No, it's I've been talking forever. Please talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a quite an attractive soapbox you have there. But yes, I think I agree with everything you've been saying, and you've, you're nailing it. Exactly the shame thing's a big issue for me, too. But there's another type of shame that I wanted to bring up that you haven't actually addressed. And that's kind of some internalized shame that I think comes up just from some people who use hookup apps. And they actually want to shame everyone else is there because, oh, I mean, all these people, they would never be interested in a real relationship. They're just, they're just sluts I can objectify because they're on a hookup app. Like, they're not serious. They're not, you know. But, like, there's this weird kind of double standard because obviously you are on using that app too. And just because you're there does not mean that you're not willing to be in a long-term relationship, that you're incapable of commitment. It doesn't mean that you don't enjoy long-term committed relationships or even sexually exclusive relationships. You really can't conclude any of those things because you yourself is using that app. So obviously other people there might also be like you. They might be using it out of desperation. They might be using it just to experiment with it. They might be using it just as one of the many things that they do. You shouldn't assume that just because someone is there that that's all they ever do or that they're not looking for anything. But you also can't conclude that they are. You really can't conclude much other than the fact that they happen to have a profile. So try not to right. make those sorts of assumptions. because, And really, you know, do keep in mind, a clone of you could also be using the app, right? You don't know that the person there isn't just like you. Of course, likely they aren't just like you, but the fact that you're using it means someone else could be. So keep that in mind. Don't shame other people just because, oh, wow, this person's willing to use a hookup app. Because obviously you're also willing to use it, right? So right. You, know, that's a, you can't really say that sort of thing. It doesn't really make sense. It doesn't hold up to internal logic if you actually you know, drag that strange thought out and examine it a bit, right? Right. And as, as a minor digression, if you personally make the, the, the choice to not use hookup apps and you have friends that do, don't make fun of them for that. that that's something that they choose to do. Don't think that think any less of them don't think that they're slutty or a whore or don't go out of your way to shame people that use these more people use them than you would imagine and it's just again shitty behavior don't be a shitty person don't be shitty to your friends don't be shitty to anyone put good in the universe put out good positive vibes and embrace the idea that people have sexual agency and the ability to make decisions and exert that agency so See, don't- i just want to out myself right now and say that you know i use hookup apps i don't use them to hook up very much but Partly because I have a podcast devoted to relationships and partly and I want to stay abreast of things and partly because I'm just curious myself, I maintain profiles on various sites and I often say in my profiles that I might not be looking to meet up right now, but you feel free to ask, which is true. Uh, but I kind of you do automatically disclose that I'm probably not going to be someone who's looking to, you know, bang in the next five minutes. But the point I'm I'm trying to make is, you know, I am on those apps, right? And you know, 
I talk about my own habits and all those sorts of things on the podcast. But the point is, you know, someone else could be doing that too. They might just be there out of curiosity and that's fine. You know, they might, and just because you have a profile doesn't mean you're having sex every day or every week or every weekend or that you're actually hooking up with anyone at all. Right. So you really don't want to be making all those assumptions because, you know, sure, some people, if you really want to, I could have a profile in Grinder and I could hook up with a, new, with a new guy every day probably if I wanted to. But, I mean, that doesn't mean that I actually am doing that. Most people are, probably aren't because there are other things to do in life besides have sex, as that wonderful article on Millennials happened to point out. <laughs> right. We could be watching YouTube for Christ's sake, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there was actually, and I, I, I hate that I keep digressing, but this is something that I did want to talk about. Um, so there's the idea, uh, there was a student, a high school student that was of age, that was legal, and it was discovered that he was doing porn as a way to supplement his income. His mother didn't really have a stable job, and so he was doing porn in order to, to make ends meet for his family. That was the choice that he made, and that was the best choice that he could come up with. And it came out in the school and it was distributed that, oh my God, this kid's doing porn. The question is this, how did they find that porn? <laughs> it's, right. it's obvious that people are consuming pornography, so that's how they discovered it. And lo and behold, this idea of, well, we have to shame this kid, we have to consider expelling this kid, da-da-da-da-da. If you find, let's say you're using Tinder and you find somebody on Tinder that's you know, a friend of yours, don't make fun of them in person. Don't bring it up to other people. Let them be the ones to disclose that information. It's not your right to disclose how other people are seeking connections. Yet again, you want to make sure that everybody maintains their own sense of agency. Um, kind of a funny story. Um, Vero and I found each other on OkCupid once. <laughs> <laughs> that, that did happen, yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of funny because we just joked about it and we're like, well, it was, a, it's, it was inevitable that this would happen. <laughs> and come to find out, we were oddly compatible. <laughs> we were like a, 90, like a 98% or something. It was yeah. kind of weird. Like OkCupid was like, you two must get married. <laughs> OkCupid, <laughs> like, yeah. Sure. Yeah, we we were we were okay, Cupid's OTP. <laughs> well, Metrico, we were supposed to have a baby together, but instead we chose to have a podcast. So. You know, it's I'd much rather do a podcast than fuck. <laughs> They're easier to raise, honestly. Yeah, this is kind of my baby. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's the idea is if you're using a service, don't make fun of other people for using the service. It's it's kind of stupid, and you look really childish. And when they call you out for it. You have no defense because, and I support this. If somebody were to make fun of me, oh my God, I can't believe you use a dating service. I was on there and I saw you. Yeah, my next immediate statement would be, oh, so you use it too. You, you right, don't, exactly. yeah. You don't yep. have to, <laughs> you don't have to tolerate that kind of foolishness. You don't have to tolerate that kind of petty backstabbing bullshit. Um, what, it, you, what it really boils down <laughs> to is, you know, internal homophobia or internal sex negativity. For the most part. And, you know, you don't want to be externalizing that, you know, internalized homophobia or sex negativity by then, you know, using it against other people or weaponizing it uh, in order to make yourself feel better. Instead, you need to, you know, reflect on yourself and realize, hey, I enjoy sex too. I have gay tendencies too, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, just be, you know, be honest with yourself about that. It's, it's okay to enjoy sex and it's okay to enjoy casual sex. If that's what you're about, it's, you know, that's totally fine and there's nothing wrong with that. You're allowed to make those decisions for yourself. 
Yes. So remember, you have the agency to determine your sex activity. Other people have the agency to determine their sex activities. Don't assume control of anybody else, and don't allow other people to assume control of yours. Um, this, this next one is something that we kind of touched on earlier, but this is something that has actually happened to me. Um, it's I, I uh, met somebody on Grindr, and we agreed to a date, and we went on this date, and um, it was kind of a terrible date. Um, but it was terrible. It wasn't terrible because there was an attraction. It was just um, we we agreed on the uh, <laughs> we agreed. Okay, so we're gonna have dinner, get to know each other, and then we're gonna come back to my place and we're gonna knock boots for a bit. And that was the understanding. Um, we went to dinner and come to find out once the bill came um the guy was like i'm actually kind of poor and i just use grinder in order to get free free dinners um <laughs> and i'm just like uh <laughs> okay so i mean i i kind of did a minorly shitty thing it's i was like well we're going dutch so good luck with that buddy and i paid my portion and left and i don't know what happened to him but the idea is don't create false hope don't create false expectations of activity by setting dates that you don't intend to keep, whether that's, oh yeah, sure, I'm totally going to show up, and then you just ghost them and never show up. And Oh, I've had that happen to me before. My general policy is always to bring a book and to set the meeting place as a cafe, because then the worst thing that happens to me on that Friday night is I get to enjoy coffee and reading a book at a new, at a new cafe, right? Right, yeah. I mean... I hate to say always have a backup plan when it comes to meeting people, but always have a backup plan. You never know if it's going to wash out, but ultimately you should never, if you are practicing hookup etiquette and good practice and ethics, you don't want to set up something that you have no intention of following through with. Um, Again, it's completely fine if you show up and you have dinner. Do you realize that there's just no sexual attraction? You can just say, listen, I had a good time, but I'm not really feeling, you know, up to doing anything. It's nothing against you. It's just, unfortunately, I'm not feeling any kind of attraction. I do, you know, I'm sorry, but I hope that you had a good time with dinner and maybe, hey, we can be friends, you know. And I will point out too there, um, your obligation is to someone that you're casually hooking up with uh, in terms of total 100% radical honesty are probably a little bit lower than you would have to someone else uh, who you're maybe you know, in a more committed relationship with. I'm not saying you should lie to people about your SDI status or lie to people you know, in general about who you are or what you represent. But if it's the choice between you know, being uncomfortable rejecting someone and therefore having a regrettable sexual encounter or basically allowing yourself to be raped and telling a white lie like, oh, I'm really feeling sick to my stomach, or, oh, I'm really not feeling well, or, you know, oh, I just got called into work, or, you know, <laughs> whatever. You know, like, if you need to make up some bullshit reason why you have to leave and not go through with sex, um, I'd much prefer that you do that than go through with having regret sex. So, um, and you'll, you'll be happier for it, and you'll be emotionally better off for it, and that other person might also be better off for it, because you know, sex that you're not really into is not going to be the best experience for the most part. Um, So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, honestly, like, you're much better off. That's one place where I think it's totally fine to lie when you're dealing with, you know, hookup sort of situation. Because you don't really, you're not going to see that person again, right? So, like, if you lie just to terminate that arrangement in order to spare their feelings and not make them feel rejected, 
I think that there there are worse lies out there. Uh, yeah. Your personal mor- morals and ethics might disagree with me there, but you know, again, I think that might be the lesser of two evils if the other option is you not feeling comfortable enough to say no. Um, yeah. And frankly, obviously, the, the the best practice there is to just be honest and say, "Hey, I'm not feeling it sexually." But you know, if you're a submissive person or someone who has a lot of problems with conflict and expressing their own you know agency, that can be really tough to say, especially to someone's face if you're not used to it. So you know, a, a white lie in that scenario to me, I think, is is uh, is definitely better than going through something you're not into. I mean, I've definitely had to tell somebody, oh, no, I'm being called into work. Oh, no. But that was less because I didn't feel comfortable being direct. Well, I didn't because this guy came off as incredibly aggressive. And I knew that, you know, it would be an easier kind of rejection to offer that would possibly have less of a uh, violent you know, um, reaction. <laughs> this guy kind of came off when I was talking with him as being somebody that did not handle being told no very well. And so rather than dealing with that potential, I figured a white lie would be better just to ensure that he didn't feel rejected and also to ensure that I didn't have to deal with any potential angry, you know, backlash. So do an assessment of the situation, and sometimes a white lie is better for everybody's sanity, for everybody's well-being. Sometimes you can be a little bit more upfront and a little bit more direct about your your feelings towards the individual, and that's completely fine. Just just make a positive. Just just make a good. Just be self-aware. Be aware of the situation. Right. Yeah. Use your intuition. If something feels wrong or sketchy or doesn't feel quite right to you, or someone's rubbing you the wrong way. You know, as, as horny as you might be, and as much as you are really looking forward to that hookup, do trust your intuition. If you feel like you're in an unsafe situation, get yourself out of that situation. And if you need to lie to do that in a non-confrontational way to prevent something from something violent from happening, or you know, something unsafe from happening to you, um, go for it. That's one place where I think both Metrico and I are going to be very comfortable saying, "Yeah." Lie, lie your full head off if you need to get out of a bad situation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously we are proponents of honesty and direct communication, but if that's not a safe option, do what you have to do in order to protect your own safety. Um, that, that's, a, that's an area that's not negotiable. Um, another area that's not negotiable, and this sometimes does happen within the furry community, is people create false profiles um, in order to just get nudes of other people. Um, you see this sometimes on Twitter and the After Dark community, and you see this quite often on um, a lot of hookup apps. Uh, you, I see this most prevalently on Adam for Adam, which is a gay hookup app, where people will create fake profiles. Uh, this happens on Tinder as well. I've had many friends that have been like, yeah, apparently I got matched with uh, my girlfriend. Turns out it wasn't my girlfriend. It was somebody using her information. People are catfishing in order to get and personal information about me, nudes, that sort of thing, for their personal enjoyment or benefit, or in some cases, maybe to blackmail you, threaten you, and by, well, I'll send this to your family if you don't, you know, send me money or have sex with me, that sort of thing. Metrico, this sounds very familiar. Do you remember what happened to me a few months ago? Yeah. You want to tell that story? I do. Okay. So this is actually uh, common enough that it's happened to yours truly, one of your two podcast hosts. So um, I, I mean, for a while, maintained an Adam for Adam profile for myself. 
um, which was one of these types of apps. And uh, again, just gotta keep my foot in the in the door with a lot of these things. And I'd had this account for ages. It's actually, weirdly enough, the way that I uh, initially got into the fandom was by meeting a furry on Adam for Adam, who I did not know was a furry at the time, but then revealed themselves to be such. So I can thank Adam for Adam for being here, but I can also thank it for some less uh, than ideal circumstances. So uh, someone actually did manage to, uh, to catfish me on one of these apps, and they didn't actually get very much information out of me, but uh, due to some problems with Adam for Adam security, uh, they apparently got enough out of me that they were able to somehow piece together a lot of personal information about me. And then they tried using that information as a way to blackmail me for sex and threatened uh, my safety and also to uh, basically release my private information if I didn't go through with having sex with them. Uh, And this was obviously quite alarming. And I actually did get the FBI and the NYPD involved in this and uh, felt kind of unsafe and a little bit shaken for a couple weeks after the fact. Um, Obviously, I didn't go through with anything. I call this person's bluff because most of these people are, in fact, bluffing. But... You know, you don't want to be in that situation and you don't want to have to be second guessing every time you go out of your apartment door whether you're going to get jumped by somebody. So yeah. that was that was not the best situation. There's actually and again, I'm just digression panda tonight. Um there are actually loan services, and you see these especially in China, and I was reading up on them, where in order to get a loan, whether it's for college or for personal use, as collateral, you have to send this service nude pictures of yourself. And if you default on your loan, they just post all of that everywhere. They send it to your family, they send it to your employer, to your, you know, employer, to your college. They do everything they can to name and shame you and they require pictures of everything. You know, for a lot of people having this kind of content made public, um, you know, some employers may not look very favorably on being sent pictures, uh, nude pictures of their employees. Some, you know, especially if you're trying to get into a, f- a government job, they might look at that as, you know, some kind of a red flag, and they would fire you or not consider you for employment. You want- and any of the helping professions as well. This is obviously a huge issue. If you're a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or a lawyer or you know, any, anything of that sort, you're definitely going to run into um, issues with your employer finding any kind of sexual expression to be not acceptable, which is obviously ridiculous because human beings are sexual, but apparently if you're in one of these industries, you're supposed to pretend like you aren't. So um, yeah, definitely those people are yeah. more at risk for this sort of outing, right? Yeah, so you want to, I mean, A, if you're creating fake profiles in order to amass nudes of people, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on a hookup app, whether it's anywhere, don't do that. I understand that it's popular and fun and trollsy, and a lot of gay guys will do this in order to get guys on webcam to jerk off for them, and they'll dub in a video of a girl, you know, fingering herself or whatever, just to get that, and oh, it's a straight guy, oh, that's my fetish. Don't do that. Don't be a shitty person. Don't catfish people. Don't lead people on with the sole intention of seeing them naked. It's shitty behavior. There are plenty of people that I, I'm sure would be more than happy to openly show you you know, their butthole. That, 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 that would be more than happy to have that level of sexual engagement with you regardless of, of you know, your gender. Maybe uh, just, just don't catfish people. Don't create profiles in order to do that. Don't create profiles to blackmail people. Don't 
do that to be, again, a shitty person. Don't be a shitty person. I will repeat that one more time. Do not be a shitty person. Don't. Just don't. This happens far too often. There's a reason that I have to repeat this. The idea of bots or fake profiles or things like that just to get information, to get nudes, to get bullshit is alarming. Don't do that. Don't be that person. Don't do it for funsies to you know, make fun of a friend or to lead a friend on or to get back at an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. Don't do that. And if your fetish is blackmailing people, uh, that's one of those fetishes that you probably want to explore in role play and not yeah. actually do on hookup apps, right? Yeah, there are plenty of healthy releases that are ethically viable that you can explore in order to get that sexual itch scratched. Find willing participants that are able to roleplay that. It's, it's, it's not that difficult. And if you're struggling with that, you might want to consider perhaps seeking some kind of a sex-positive therapist who can help you in finding ways that you can find a way to meet your sexual needs without putting other people at risk or damaging other people's reputations. Um, there are some people that do have some exceptions to this rule when it comes to uh, politicians that have very anti you know, that are very sex negative perhaps they're anti gay that they find their profiles on grinder or wherever and then they post it and the media eats it up and then this person has to deal with that and they're outed and that sort of thing and some people find that to be positive some people find that to be negative um some people find that to be ethical or unethical i try not to take a position on it because i i try to take the the role of don't be shitty to other people and even if that person is kind of a shitty individual, you know, let them have their own sexual determination. You know, once that information is out there, then of course it's unfortunate fair game. But, you know, don't create fake profiles in order to get that information out of them. Don't, you know, if somebody puts their information out there and, you know, it's, it's, they're, um, let's say, for example, somebody, a politician, you know, has a grinder profile and they're anti-gay in terms of the legislation that they pass, in terms of the positions that they take. I mean, at a certain point, it is like, yeah, come on. Like, are you kidding me? But at the same time, you know, you're not creating a fake profile. They're putting that information out there. Don't catfish people to release private information about themselves that, you know, might cause some kind of an issue for them, even if they are, you know speaking against their own interests in some cases. It's kind of a shitty position. And I know that it's not a popular position that I hold, but you know, just treat things ethically regardless of the other individual on the side of you know on their side of the screen. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good practice. I mean, I think in certain circumstances someone who is um, you know, clearly an anti gay bigot and has, you know, a profile on grinder, like, you know, the temptation is definitely going to be there to out that person. But you don't necessarily know that in their personal life they're doing something unethical. I always like to cite the example of, you know, what if that person and, and you know, their wife has some kind of don't ask, don't tell policy. You don't know if they are companionate in their marriage. You don't know if this is permitted within their, you know, relationship terms. To you, it might look like the person is a lying, cheating piece of shit because of their public image. But, I mean, what that person is doing in their private life might be totally different. You don't know that. Um, certainly I think you can make an argument that they're most likely cheating and sure they probably are, but you don't know that. Right. And if, if it was happened to be you and you had one of these arrangements, you certainly would want other people to respect 
your privacy and not, you know, take it upon themselves to crusade and prove that you're some kind of horrible person because you're not being faithful to your spouse, whether or not that is negotiated or not. Um, you know, that's something you need to be sensitive to. And just because right. someone is a public figure, I don't think that automatically makes them fair game. Now, if they are, you know, rapidly anti-gay and they're on grinder, you know, I'll leave that to your own personal morals, whether you think that's okay to, to, to out that person or not. I, I admit the temptation would be there for me, but yeah, <laughs> I've never been in that situation. I can't say for sure exactly what I would do. Yeah. Um, there's also there's also the idea that maybe you're being catfished. Maybe that profile is fake. You don't know. And you might out somebody that has a profile of theirs that like it could be that maybe somebody created a grinder profile for their ex-boyfriend because they feel spiteful and all of a sudden this person is being, you know, accused of you know, being gay when in fact they're not, and now they have to deal with that. You 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 can't confirm these sorts of details just because you know, having a grinder profile is not, you know, proof positive that somebody is gay. Could be a faked profile. Could be maybe, you know, it, there could be any, there's a plethora of things that it could be. And you don't want to be a person to point fingers at somebody and after all is said and done, found to be in the wrong. You know, that, that can be for some people um, very damaging to their careers. That can be libelous and libelous in some cases and in some jurisdictions don't put yourself out there don't try to be a crusader when you don't have the ability to properly research and verify these claims so just be mindful of that don't catfish other people don't don't be a dick don't release people's private information don't somebody stands you up don't post their dick on the internet as some kind of a revenge it's a shitty thing to do and you know I know that in some places, um, posting nudes of an ex or somebody of, you know, let's say you're a jilted lover or a lover spurned, some people can hold you legally liable for that. So don't do that. Just don't do that. Um, Two wrongs don't make a right, essentially. Um, One other point with creating false profiles. um, If you're under, if you're not of age, be very careful about what content you put out there. I understand that the urge is there for younger people that are under, you know, the age of 18 to join these kinds of sites to look for hookups with older men and maybe older women and to have sexual activities and that's fine and dandy, but the issue is is that you want to not put other people at risk. It's There are plenty of other applications and means for people that are under the age of 18 to find sexual partners that are appropriate um, in terms of you know their respective partners' ages. There are plenty of teenage dating applications that you can take advantage of, and I would highly recommend that you use them. Just keep you know note that for pretty much all of these applications, the requirement is that you are 18 years of age and older. You don't want to put somebody in the position of having to deal with a legal inquisition because you lied about your age. Even though there is the possibility that they won't be held legally liable, it's still going to be a headache for them, and it's still going to be an, an, a nuisance. So don't catfish people about your identity. Don't catfish people about your age. Be as, you know, if you're not supposed to be using an application like Grinder or anything of that nature because you're under the age of 18, don't do that. Make sure that you obey the law and you respect, you know, other people's right to 
engage in these activities in a legal, safe, sane, and consensual behavior. Um, Again, I have nothing against people under the age of 18 having sex. Please have plenty of sex. I know when I was under the age of 18, I had lots and lots of it. There's nothing bad about it. Just make sure that you're going about it in a way that isn't going to have people held legally liable for your indiscretion of not disclosing your information. So Right. You want to make sure that informed consent is maintained pretty much throughout yeah. whatever interaction you're having. And if you happen to be, you know, under the age of majority in certain jurisdictions, you want to make sure you're disclosing that whether or not it is legal in your jurisdiction to be engaging with them in that way. Yeah. So these are some of the ways that hookup apps are used improperly. Um, but there are some best practices that you yourself can employ in using hookup apps in order to ensure that you're not negatively affecting others. Um, you know, a lot of what we just discussed kind of goes into it, but we'll kind of drill down a little bit more and kind of go over just some common sense practices that oftentimes tend to be overlooked. Um, the primary one, if you're going to be engaging in the use of hookup apps, if you're going to have more casual sex, um, and in general, it's good to know your status. It's good to get regularly tested. It's good to know if you have any kind of a infection that you need to get it treated. It's good to know... If there are any conditions that you would possibly need to disclose to potential partners in order to give that informed consent, like Vero just said. Let's you did just write a, a really helpful, I think, uh, advice column on this last week, uh, which if you are interested in how to go about disclosing these sorts of things, um, you might want to turn to that to get a little bit of a, an idea of what kind of language you might want to use. Right. That was actually um, the first um, advice column article that I've written. I know that some of my email responses, one of them has appeared in the column, but this was my first one. So if you're interested in seeing how I write, I would recommend checking it out. It's kind of fun and it was kind of intimidating for me to do. But being able to disclose your status is important. But in order to disclose it, you need to know your status. Uh, get tested, get regularly tested um, for some people. Um, I mean, I personally recommend that if you're using hookup apps and you're having casual sex that you should get tested quarterly once every three months. Um, some people disagree and say that getting it done twice a year will suffice. I tend to default to having it done quarterly. If you get it done more, then it's kind of useless, unfortunately, just because of the way that um, STIs take the, the period of time that it takes for them to um, appear on the results. Um, I do know that in our STI episode, we discussed the um, and Vera is going to correct me um, on my <laughs> on my improper use of terminology, but um, there is a specific latency period that SDIs have before they do a properly show up on any kind of testing paperwork. Um, yeah, and that, that you know that comes down to what type of testing it is. Some tests look directly for an infectious agent, and those tend to show results more quickly. Some look for indirect evidence, like antibodies to a particular uh, antigen or portion of a infectious agent that is inside of you. And because the antibody response can take upwards of um, two to three weeks to a couple of months to reach peak, um, some of those tests just can't see the infection until that immune response takes place. So you might have gotten infected and you know you think you're clean because you just you know you went a week later and got a negative test result, but in fact you are incredibly infectious because you are you know very recently infected with a certain uh, sexually transmitted disease. So now, I am going to just kind of offer a minor 
just point, um, I don't like the usage of the word clean when it comes to SDI status. It's I would prefer to use, and this is just a personal preference, other people have their own preferences, but I prefer to use negative and positive um, because implying that somebody is clean when they don't have a kind of a sexual, um, sexual infection that implies that people that do have STIs are dirty. People that have STIs are normal, functioning members of society. They bathe, they clean themselves. They're not dirty. They're just positive for an STI. Well, right. Especially, you know, you might want to even think about, um, you know, let's say that you have herpes. You could have herpes because you got it from your, your mother kissing you. You could have herpes because you fucked 10 guys behind a dumpster at a gay bar. Or you could have herpes because you got unlucky and the, you know, your one long-term committed partner just happened to unknowingly infect you, right? You can't conclude anything from the fact that someone has uh, an infection about how that infection was achieved because there are many, many ways to get SDIs that have nothing to do with sex. So you don't want to be painting with too broad a brush when uh, in that situation. So one of the important parts of knowing your status is that it is completely and totally fine for you to inquire about the status of your potential partners. And it is completely fine for you to ask for proof of paperwork. Now, you want to ensure that you are engaging in as safe play as you possibly can. And part of that is, if you know your status, it is, and and you want to ensure that you are not needlessly infected with an STI, then... Or, or infected against your own wishes. I do know that there are cultures of people that do, um, known as bug chasers, that do want to um, be infected with specific STIs. Then, that and that's fine. That's your own sexual play, and as long as you go about that in an ethical and mutually, you know, um, mutually agreed on way, then that's cool and everything. But you want to ensure that if you know your status, that your partners know their status. And it's completely fine if they refuse to show paperwork, if that is what you require to say that, well, I'm just not, I'm sorry, I'm just not really that interested in engaging in play with you. I'm not really that interested in, you know, doing anything that would, um, I'm not interested in any kind of sexual activity because, you know, I, I, I take my sexual health far, you know, a little bit seriously, and this is something that I require. It's a cost of admission. Now, and this is something that we have mentioned in the past, you know, paperwork when it comes to sexual testing can be faked, and it's quite, you know, anything can be forged. So just keep that in the back of your mind. It's it's good to have a healthy dose of, you know, just making sure that everything looks on the up and up. And also, kind of what Vero said earlier, and what we were discussing a bit just a few moments ago, that results of uh, testing that are for you know general testing that look for the antibodies and antigens, I believe, um, they don't necessarily show infections that are more re- more <laughs> can't talk. They don't necessarily show infections that are more recent than two or three months ago. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can't depend on a test result that is, says you're negative one time being a true negative. And that's actually true even if your infection happened more than two or three months ago. There is still a false negative rate for all of these tests that you can take. And really the gold standard for being you know, truly negative for an infection is going to be two back-to-back negative results uh, spaced uh, four to eight weeks apart in which you have no new sexual encounters between those two tests. That is kind of the gold standard for really truly proving that you are um, free of all known STIs. 
Uh, for example, if you were to be dating a partner who was immunocompromised and for whom a sexual infection could be extremely life-threatening, uh, oftentimes that is what that person would require, is that you uh, promise not to have any new partners for the span of you know two to one to two months, and that during that time you have two back-to-back tests, both of which showing a negative result. Um, that would then be considered good evidence for uh, being truly negative. Now, and this is actually something that you would probably be more of an expert on. Let's say that you get tested and you're found to have contracted, we'll just say, syphilis. Um, you receive treatment for syphilis, and would you recommend having uh, tests done um, within that four- to eight-week period, multiple tests, one or two, just to verify that everything else is on the up-and-up and that you're negative and able to be sexually active again? Or what would you recommend in terms of testing in order to ensure that you are negative and essentially free to play? So generally speaking, um, for most STIs, uh, the advice is to wait uh, one week beyond when you are both asymptomatic and whatever medication you've been prescribed has run out. That is kind of the gold standard for when it is likely safe to resume sexual activity. It's one week past no longer being symptomatic and or no longer having your medication. That's just kind of general advice. Um, Generally speaking, when you do go in for STI testing after having uh, contracted an STI and showing symptoms of an STI, uh, for more information what those might be, you can consult our STI episode. Um, but when you are symptomatic and you go in, generally speaking, your healthcare provider is going to run a full battery of tests because, um, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire in terms of, you know, when you have multiple, S- when you have one STI, you're actually much more likely to have multiple STIs. So you're, they are going to test you for everything else, generally speaking, at the time that you're diagnosed with whatever STI made you have the visit to begin with. Um, you don't really need to be tested again to show that you're negative um, after a round of treatment. Um, that's not really commonly done. Usually it's assumed that if you complete a round of antibiotics for the STIs that are curable, um, like syphilis and gonorrhea and chlamydia, that you are going to be negative because drug resistance is not yet a huge, huge concern for these uh, uh, agents, these infectious agents. It's becoming one, especially for, uh, you know, for certain uh, STIs, but we aren't currently experiencing an epidemic of drug-resistant strains so it's generally assumed that once you complete a round of treatment, you are going to be free to go. But again, it's best uh, it's the best idea to wait a week out past when you're no longer symptomatic and uh, your medications run out. Um, you might also, if you don't usually use condoms, for that you know period immediately after contracting an STI where you're still not 100% sure that you are have eliminated whatever pathogen might have been active in your system, it certainly is advisable to consider using condoms at least for a little while after having contracted an STI, uh, if nothing else, just for your own, your own and your partner's peace of mind, that might be a good practice. But uh, generally speaking, as I said, it's, it's safe to, to do that once you're about a week out from no longer being symptomatic and no longer uh, actively taking medication for whatever the STI might have been. And would you think it's fair, let's say that you have a uh, test done, you're found to be positive for, say, gonorrhea, and you complete your... Uh, antibiotic regimen and everything's on the up and up. Uh, do you think that it would be fair for um, if a future partner says, okay, but I still want to see a test before we have any sexual activity, do you think that that's fair game for them to expect you to do that or for them to make that as a requirement or is that kind of an unnecessary uh, kind of unwieldy ask that they're you know making of you? 
So I think medically speaking, um, it wouldn't strictly be any more necessary than it would be if, um, you know, you hadn't had that STI, right? Uh, but I mean, who am I to say what that person's sexual comfort level should be? It's within anyone's rights to ask for pretty much any accommodation they should, they would like before being sexually active with someone. Um, obviously it's that person's other person's, uh, responsibility to refuse. If that is too high and ask for them, if you don't feel comfortable sharing your STI testing results, you aren't obligated to, but that person also then isn't obligated to sleep with you. So I think I'm going to leave that to being between the two, the individuals involved. But, uh, I do think that if you test positive for an STI, all the other tests come back negative, and then you complete a round of treatment for that STI you tested positive for, um, you're probably actually a safer partner than someone who didn't know their status at all would be, statistically speaking. Uh, so I know that's kind of hard to wrap your head around from a you know, gut-level feeling of, oh, this person is now dirty because they had STI, now I need to hold them to a higher standard. Well, not necessarily. They may have just gotten unlucky, right? Uh, and so they, they do the short stick and they happen to contract something and then they treated it and now they're back to, you know, whatever practices they they were using. Uh, what you want to establish is, okay, if someone tests positive, what safer sex practices were going on at the time? You know, you can ask the person a bit more about their sexual history and hope that they're honest with you if you do feel uncomfortable. Because, you know, the STI might be a sign that they're being unsafe or it might be a sign that they are unlucky. You know, if that person says, oh, yeah, I hooked up with this guy I didn't, whose name I didn't know when I was drunk outside of the, the gay bar, that might be a higher risk than, oh, yeah, I was playing with this friend of mine who's been a regular hookup partner of mine for 18 months, and we, we, you know, we, we hook up occasionally, we, we've always been safe with each other, and, um, you know, his boyfriend came home with something, and he wasn't, you know, didn't, didn't know, realize it in time and accidentally, you know, passed something along to me. You know, that's a completely different situation where you may have been totally uncomfortable with that person's level of risk-taking before knowing that they have the STI, but suddenly the fact that they have the STI, you, you can't really assume that they're being slutty or unsafe, right? That's not an assumption you should be making. Right. Uh, that might be true, but it could very also well not be true, right? Um, right? We know for a fact that the majority of STIs are transmitted during supposedly monogamous closed relationships, so clearly someone is being unhonest, dishonest and unethical there, Um but you can't conclude that it's the person that you're interested in. It could be someone that they're connected to, right? Right. So there is an acronym that you commonly see in hookup apps, uh, DDF. Uh, the D is for Delta, so Delta, Delta, F for Foxtrot. And what that is, is it stands for drug and disease-free or disease and drug-free. And what that means is that the individual that has it on their profile is um, – has tested negative for STIs, and they're also not a drug user of harder drugs, things that tend to be intravenous, um, that require a needle to inject, and that tends to be what they're looking for. So if you see somebody that says looking for DDF, that means that they're looking for somebody that is STI-free, that isn't a drug user. Um, for most of them, they um, don't necessarily care things uh, like marijuana that you inhale. They're more worried about intravenous use, things where um, you, you uh, a lot of drug users um, practice unsafe habits and reusing needles or sharing needles, and that can often uh, cause the, the spread of infection. So if you see DDF, then that means that that person is exhibiting and exerting um, their desire to have safer sex practices. And that's a general policy that you should have when it comes to hookup apps. You know, it's good to use safer sex practices. It's good to use condoms and to use condoms perfectly. If you're doing oral, um, if you're um, 
not doing oral, but if you're you're going down on somebody, maybe you want to use a dental dam. You know, find your level of comfort in your safe sex practices. For a lot of people, um, if they're being incredibly casual, they'll uh, get on Truvada or PrEP in order to ensure that their risk of contracting HIV is incredibly minimal. So determine your safe sex uh, safe sex practices. Things that uh, do a risk assessment. Think, okay, well, I will only have sex with people that use condoms, or I'll only have sex with people that use condoms and are on prep, or you know, find what your comfort level is. And don't be afraid to reject people that don't meet that standard. If somebody says, let's say that you really hit it off with somebody and they're like, well, I'm on prep, so I don't feel the need to use condoms. You have your own personal comfort level and your own personal integrity. Don't feel the need to compromise it just to get a piece of ass. I do recommend uh, deciding what your safer sex boundaries are when you're not in a state of being horny or inebriated. So this is a conversation to have with yourself while you're sitting down at the coffee table you know, on Sunday morning and not a conversation to be having with yourself when it's 11.30 p.m. at night, your dick is hard, and you're in the middle of a chat with some guy that's around the corner, right? That's right. not the time you want to be deciding your safer sex practices, <laughs> generally right. speaking. Right. And, you, and don't don't make promises to yourself once you make them. So if you tell yourself, you know, based on what I know sexual about my sexual health and sexual risks, I'm only going to have sex with somebody who has a test result in the last couple of months, who says they always use condoms and who's willing to use condoms with me. If those are your, you know, hard and fast rules, make sure you aren't suddenly sliding from those when you know some hot guy starts hitting on you again at like three in the morning or whatever. Right when you're desperate right. for hooking up. Make sure that you're maintaining your integrity then and not breaking a promise to yourself. That's really important. Right. And this is this is also some advice that I, I want to give people because um, this can sometimes be a little bit of a pitfall. Enable yourself to make these safe sex practices. Let's say that, you know, you're a guy or a girl and you agree that you're going to go over to, you know, your hookups place in order to hook up, or maybe they come over to yours. Make sure that you have proper supplies. If your agreement is to always use condoms, have condoms on you. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. You don't want to show up at somebody's place ready to party and they're saying, well, I don't have any condoms. I hope that's okay. Um, this actually happened to me once where um, I agreed to a hookup with um, a fellow fur and I went over to his place and he's like, oh, well, I just, I used my last condom on one of my toys and I don't have any. So um, I hope you're okay with that. And I mean, it's, it's nothing sexual happened. I, I just said, well, it's a requirement for me. Unfortunately, I came unprepared. So well, looks like, you know, we can just kind of paw off together. We can just kind of, you know, find other ways that are non-penetrative in order to enjoy each other without, you know, saying, oh my God, I can't believe you do that. You know, it's, that was within my comfort level. Um, some people, they, you know, they can make other judgment calls, but don't break a promise to yourself. And like Vero said, don't compromise your integrity. Don't move the field posts. Don't, don't make a decision in a moment of, you know, being horny that you'll regret when you are stone cold sober. Um, so don't feel bad. Don't feel slutty that you're going to a date that may not end in sex and you have condoms on you. It's completely fine. Just make sure that you change all the condoms because they do expire. <laughs> don't have three-year-old condoms on you. You know, if, you, if you're 
participating in a hookup culture, make sure that you are properly supplied and make sure that you hold your partners accountable and reliable, um, not reliable, um, that you hold your partners to the same standard of safe sex practices that you want and don't compromise on that. Right. Um, and if you have any other questions about safer sex practices or things of this nature, you can direct them to us. And I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to our epic episode on <laughs> STI risk reduction, which I think broke the, the uh, weight limit for our podcast at a hefty like three and a half hours of information. But it's got a lot of great stuff in there. You can skip around based on the show notes, which are also pretty helpful for that particular episode. And we'll link to that in our show notes for this episode. Um, whether, you, yeah. whether you just browse through the show notes uh, and get some timestamps that you're curious about, or you listen to the whole behemoth in one go, that's, that's up to you. Um, but in the interest of informed consent, I will tell you it's a long show. Uh, but definitely check that one out, because it's definitely relevant for the Hookup app um, etiquette. It's almost, I think, a prerequisite to be aware of the STI risk reduction if you're going to be participating in more casual sexual encounters. Right, absolutely. And so really, that's like, really all of this was just kind of a brush up back on how to practice uh, safer sex habits. Um, we're going to talk more about like the behaviors that are common on hookup apps and things that you can do to avoid falling into them. Um, probably the most common complaint with Grindr and also with Tinder is that people are perhaps a little bit too direct in what they're looking for. And rather than being tactful, it's a little bit distasteful what they put in their profiles. Um, I'll give some examples. So if you're on Grindr or Tinder and you find somebody's profile, you might say that they say something like, no fats, no, you know, no Asians, no blacks, things of that nature. And well, again, it's perfectly fine to have preferences. Maybe not putting them out there in a way that is distasteful and lacks tact, um, that will probably be a better option. Uh, probably one of the uh, more common ones that I see on Grinder is uh, no rice, no spice, no chocolate, which uh, basically means um, nobody that's Asian, nobody that's um, Indian or South Pacific, nobody that's black. You know, it's again, it's fine to have preferences. It's fine to say, you know, I don't really find people that are overweight to be attractive, but you don't need to go out of your way and say, no fats. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a dick move. And, you know, let's say that you have a profile and you have preferences and somebody that is not within your preference range, let, you know, messages you and says, hey, are you interested? It, just say, no, thank you. Like, it's perfectly fine to tell people, thanks, but I'm not really interested. You know, I'm sorry, but I don't see this going anywhere. And again, it's, white it's lies, if you, can, if you can't handle that level of direct mm -hmm. rejection, white lies, like, oh, I'm not really looking right now. I mean, you, you can fall back on those if you really need to. It's not the best, but it's certainly better than shaming somebody. Uh, you know, like there's a scale of wrongness to that. And so, you know, I think that's important. And also when you're composing your profile, I'll talk, we'll talk about this a bit later uh, as well as putting your best foot forward, but, you know, express your preferences in a positive way. You can say... I really like guys with thin to average builds. You don't have to say, I don't like fat people, right? You can express that as a positive. It's always better to express your preferences as a positive rather than as a negative because it's less likely that someone's going to feel bad reading that, right? Right, absolutely. You know, 
Fine. There, there are ways that you can express your interests in a fashion that are that's not offensive. That's not going to make people feel bad for things that are intrinsic and they cannot change. There are way. I mean, there's there's a good subculture within the gay community that doesn't like um, what they would consider to be stereotypical gay behavior or femme behavior. They would rather have somebody that is. Um, more masculine acting that's or straight acting as they call it. And, you know, for some people that's not them, you know, they, their level of involvement in the gay community is sparkles and rainbows and sunshine. And that's perfectly awesome. And you're, you're a great person. It doesn't mean that you need to devalue somebody for, you know, having that type of involvement within the community simply because of the fact that it's not what you're looking for. You don't need to make fun of them or call them stupid or less than, you know, you don't want to call somebody worthless for something that, you know, is intrinsic. You don't want to make somebody feel bad based off of the color of their skin or be tactful, be able to, you know, reject people kindly. Again, sometimes you might need to tell a white lie, but there's no reason to say like, oh my God, you're ugly. No, you blocked forever. Be tactful. Be graceful in your rejections. Be, you know, be. Imagine if you were the one being rejected and treat people that way, and it'll go a long way. Um, you know, you might want to consult our rejection episode, our emotional bandwidth episode um, that we have to learn ways on not only how to handle rejection, but also how to kindly reject people. And that's a great resource for hookup apps because, unfortunately, um, there's a lot of rejection. <laughs> um, another <laughs> yeah. certainly true. Another point that I want to make is, you know, don't agree to a sexual activity that you have no intention of fulfilling just to get a foot in the door. Let's say that you just kind of want to get your dick sucked for a bit. Don't agree to go the full nine yards only to say, well, I actually, I only want this. You know, it goes back to the idea of expectation setting. Don't agree to something, you know, that you know that you're not going to fulfill. Don't go out of your way to lie to somebody openly in order to get your own needs met. Remember, this is another person that has their own needs, that has their own wants and desires. Don't set false expectations. Um, It's also a good idea, and this is just general practice. I highly recommend if you're meeting somebody for the first time off of an application, maybe you meet someplace first in public. Um, Like Vera said, meeting at a coffee shop is a great place. Maybe there's a Starbucks or, you know, maybe there's some hip, trendy little bar that you want to meet up at first. Meeting in a public place makes potential rejection a little bit easier because if, um, if let's say that you go to their house, it's a little bit more difficult to reject somebody because, you know, there's, there's... There's a lot more pressure on you as an individual. You know, if they're at your place, it's a little bit more, there's a little bit more risk involved. There's a higher potential for things going in a far more negative fashion than if it were to happen in a public place where there are people and you feel a little bit more comfortable with your surroundings. Don't put yourself in a position of potential danger for rejection. It's also a good, you know, good way to get to know somebody if, you know, you you anticipate this being kind of a a repetitive thing where this isn't just a one night stand. Maybe you want to have somebody that's a fuck buddy, meet them in public, meet them in person, get to know them outside of the confines of the bedroom and 
that's really a good way to know if that, you know, gets your dick hard, if that gets your pussy wet. Um, you know, try to think outside of the context of libidinousness, you know. Meet in a public place and, you know, if you're going to meet somebody, maybe tell a friend, hey, I met this person off of Grinder or Tinder or wherever and we're going to meet up. We're going to go to this place and we might go back to his place. So, you know, maybe check up on me, make sure everything's going okay. You know, that way you're not just disappearing off the face of the earth. Um, have a good friend that you can confide in in these sorts of things. Yeah, another thing you can do is um, that people will do for this sort of circumstances. You can say, you can leave a voicemail or something with a friend and say, don't listen to this unless you haven't heard from me in, you know, six hours or something like that. And, you know, or leave them a, even a telegram, you know, voice chat and say, hey, I'm going to go meet with somebody and go meet with somebody. Here's the details. You don't, have, you don't have to listen to it unless you haven't heard from me in such, in such amount of time. Um, yeah. Or you can even, just, you know, tape a note to your fridge saying where you are, if you have roommates, you know, something like that. Um, but, you know, just make sure that there's some way that someone might figure out who you're with, uh, even if it's just something as basic as their screen name and, you know, the yeah. part of town you're going to. Because you just want to give people something to go off of if they would have to find you for some something that was horribly wrong. You want to make sure that that's a possibility. Yeah. So going back to this idea of rejection, um, there's another kind of rejection that happens that's not actually verbal. Um, expect to get a lot of non-replies. Expect to just get no answer to you asking questions, to feeling out interest. It's quite common that you'll message somebody and say, hey, you know, are you looking right now? You look kind of cute, da-da-da-da-da, whatever your typical opening line is, and to never get a response. Right, and I think, you know... Some people have a weird expectation when they're online that just because they sent someone a message, that person's obligated to respond to them. Uh, I think that's kind of the wrong approach to take. You might think of that if you're, you're talking to a friend on Telegram and you send them a message and you don't get a message back or you're texting a buddy and they don't text you back. That is definitely rude. But I think when you're looking at first messages with, with strangers on the, on the internet like this uh, in hookup apps, um, you kind of need to use a different standard. Uh, my personal feeling is, you know, you won't expect everyone in a in a bar and you know with a kind of hookup culture to acknowledge you. If you just walked up to somebody and winked at them, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to strike up a conversation, right? That's not right. going to be true of everyone in the bar. And I think you should really treat you know hookup apps like one giant hookup bar, right? Just because you <laughs> right. meet somebody or make eyes at somebody, if they're not interested in you, you can't expect them to have a pleasant little conversation with everyone in the bar. That's unreasonable, right? They're going to save themselves and save that effort for someone that they're genuinely interested in, or at least who they want to establish whether they're interested in. If they can already rule you out for one reason or another, you don't necessarily need to hear what that reason is. Maybe they're just not interested in you right now for whatever reason. Um, take that for what it is if you don't hear back. Maybe that person's just not looking tonight, or maybe they already have plans for tonight. Maybe you can try that same person again the next time you see them online. If it's you know a week later or two weeks later, you get no response a couple times. You take that as your answer for whatever reason. Don't think about it too much. Move on to the next person. Right? That's pretty right. much all there is to it. Um, it certainly is probably kinder to politely decline someone if you feel like. You know, everyone who says hey to you, you have to say hey back and say, oh, I'm not really looking right now. That's, not, that's up to you. Um, but I think, you know, common practice and the kind of etiquette and the norms on these types of hookup apps are to simply ignore those for, with whom you already know that you're not a match for whatever reason. So right. be prepared for that. If you don't feel comfortable doing it to other people, you can send polite replies back. But, um, you know, that is the norm. That is kind of the culture that you're putting yourself in. 
And finally, you know, the, the most important tip that we can give you is put your best foot forward. You know, have a good recent photo. Don't have a picture of yourself from three years ago. Make sure that it's a recent photo. Make sure that you know, it's you in good lighting where you're not dark and mysterious and people can't really discern who you are. I know for some hookup apps, people prefer not to use actual photos of themselves for privacy purposes, and that's completely fine too. But it's good, you know, if you're going to meet up with somebody to at least know what they look like. You don't want to fuck a username, you want to fuck a person. So make sure that you have recent pictures of yourself. Um, make sure that you know, they're good quality, they're not pixelated, they're not kind of crappy looking, and they look like they were taken from a webcam from 1990 on your Game Boy Color. Like, you know, make sure that they're good quality, make sure that they put yourself in the best light as possible. Right, and I think, you know, the, the idea of, oh, I look great in this picture from five years ago before I gained 20 pounds, you know, like, you might want to be tempted to use that picture because you think it's kind of your idealized self, but you kind of have to work with the self that you are right now. And you don't want to make someone feel misled when they finally meet up with you and, oh, this person's heavier than I would normally be willing to hook up with or, oh, this right. person is, you know, older than I would normally be willing to hook up with. Um, you know, you can't fault people for their preferences and you can't kind of dupe them into hooking up with you. That's kind of, it's really unethical. And if you think about it, kind of cool to do because you might get this person to come over to your apartment and because they're already there, as we talked about earlier, they feel obligated to go through with things. And if you look nothing like your profile photo, you're now basically messing with that person's ability to give informed consent and it, basically asking them to give you regret sex at that point. Um, right. That's really not great. You want to make sure that the person you're with is with you for enthusiastically and wants to be there. And you know, if someone can only, only wants to be with you because you tricked them, maybe you need to be picking someone else who actually likes you for you. Um, you know, I, I think if your level of you know sexual uh, way of operating is to trick people into sleeping with you, that you need to rethink your choices because that's really immoral and unethical to do. Right. Again, you don't want to catfish people, even if it is still a picture of you. You want to make sure that you're putting forth the real you, not something that's been doctored and filtered or is ancient. Or make sure that it is an accurate picture of you that puts you in the best light possible. Yeah, it doesn't have uh, to be it doesn't have to be you like bleary-eyed at 4 in the morning le- leering over your computer screen. It can be a nice picture of you obviously and it can be you in good lighting and you on a good day with good hair. That's totally fine. But you know, if it's a picture from 15 years ago when, you know, you were a completely different person, that's not going to be the picture you want to pick. Right, exactly. So, you know, have a good photo of yourself that's recent. Also, in your profile, describe what you're looking for and who should contact you. Again, you can be very tactful. You can describe what you're looking for. And this is what I recommend. Describe what you're looking for and not what and, and don't describe what you're not looking for. So in your profile, you might say, I'm looking for, you know, athletic men or women between the ages of da-da-da-da-da. You know, and that if you're if you fall within that confine, you should contact me. You don't need to say, I'm looking for athletic women between the ages of 25 and 30 that are white. If you're anything other than white, don't contact me. You're garbage. Avoid doing that. It's good to state your preferences. It's bad to make sure that other people that do not fall within those preferences know that they are a terrible person. <laughs> kind of like what we were saying before. So avoid doing that. Yeah, in fact, I actually have my Pounce profile pulled up. I'm going to go out on a limb and read to you all a, an example, which is how I describe what I'm looking for in my profile. 
So my profile says, I'm probably not interested if you aren't around my age, that's 18 to 30-ish, up to date with your STI testing and willing to play safe. I tend to be interested in lean, lanky, slim, or toned builds, and I tend to prefer younger guys, but this isn't always the case. Um, so there you go. It, it says pretty much exactly what my interest is. It doesn't say things that I'm not interested in. There's no shame there. I kind of spell out what it is I'm looking for. I explain that I'm looking for people who tend to you know, have sex in a safe way, but I don't say it in a, in a way that shames anyone. And I think that's kind of a good standard for, you don't have to use that exact language, obviously, but something of that nature kind of puts out your preferences in a way that is as kind of anodyne, as unthreatening, and as, you know, kind of nicely as you possibly can. Right. And I mean, my profiles typically say something to the effect of, I'm looking for somebody around my age that I'm equally comfortable discussing philosophy and having a drink with. So, um it's, it's, I also tend to go into more of like, I, I also look for somebody that is drug and disease free and exhibits safer sex practices. Um, I don't have my exact profile pulled up because it's on my phone that's on the other side of the room. <laughs> but in general, that's what I tend to say. And that's part of being honest. You always want to be honest, uh, both in your responses, both in your expectations, and both in if you're just looking to flirt, if you're not looking to meet up, if you're just looking for sexy chat, if you're looking for sexy times. Be honest in your expectations, your desires, and your level of involvement. Don't lead people on. Don't be a shitty person. And have fun. Hookup apps are meant to allow you to explore yourself, explore the community around you, to explore other people, to explore sexual activities and habits and all sorts of interests. It's meant to be a fun, exciting place. And by using best practices and by exhibiting etiquette in these types of arrangements and these types of applications, you can ensure that everybody has a safe, fun, consensual, you know, mutually agreed upon experience. And that's really what's going to keep hookup culture. That's what's going to really keep you know, the, the culture of having sex, a positive, friendly one. Yeah, and I think just to wrap up, uh, I think that's a pretty great summary and note to end on. But the last note that I'd like to end on is just a reminder to practice good safety habits when using hookup apps. Don't give out personally identifiable information and personal information too soon. Try to establish that the person you're talking to really is who they say they are, whether that's by doing a video chat first or by meeting in a public place. Uh, trying to give out too much more than a screen name before you are aware of you know, verifying this person's identity because you don't want them being able to track you to your home or your place of business or to blackmail you or do any of these other sort of negative activities that unfortunately some people uh, will prey upon in order to um, you know, take advantage of people's horniness essentially. So just be aware of that and be safe and uh, don't put yourself out there more than you have to, is, I think. A good note to end on. Precisely. So we'll move on to our listener question. And the listener gave a little bit of background that we'll summarize after the question. And the question is in three parts. Um, the first part is, how does one go about finding a therapist that is at least open to sexuality or kink questions? Uh, this And in full disclosure, I did send an email to... Um, the listener uh, a response to their email, and I did include a resource um, for the United States. Um, there is, and we'll just approach this question by question, the second and the third question tend to go more together. So 
The first question, um, there is in the United States, there is a KinkAware professional database that I will link to in the show notes. And there is a search feature that you can search by location, whether it's by city or by state. And you can find professionals that have signed up to this organization that are kink aware, that are kink friendly. Um, and this is from medical services, doctors, physicians. Um, if you need to get a new um, general, practi- <laughs> general practitioner, if you need to find a mental therapist, if you're looking for a counselor, any sort of um, professional um, can sign up for this that is kink-friendly, and I would recommend making use of that resource, especially if you want to discuss some more of the kinky aspects of your life with a therapist without feeling shamed or being told that you're wrong. Right. I, a couple more points that I'll make there. Um, one is you also want to make sure you're cross-checking this list against the list of providers that your insurance might cover because you don't want to get stuck with a surprise bill, as, as wonderful as certain therapists might be. Uh, those who cater to these sorts of interests tend to often also be the, I would say, more uh, luxury-oriented therapists who, you know, tend to not to take insurance. So you want to be, you want to be prepared for that and make sure that, you know you're actually able to afford the therapy that you you're looking for. Uh, another thing that I'll recommend is there are some um, pretty good uh, apps that for app-based therapy that are now available, uh, and for kind of telepsychology services. And if you're the type of person who might be considering using a hookup app, um, as we talked about this week, uh, you might actually be more comfortable using this type of resource. So there's one that's called Talkspace mm-hmm. uh, that basically you can, they have a really good matching process where you can really describe yourself. And they actually do have some poly-aware, kink-aware therapists that are available that they can, they can match you with for um, these types of services. So, um, and those, those services tend to be quite a bit cheaper than actually seeing a therapist in person where office visits can run more than a couple hundred dollars an hour. Uh, with something like Talkspace, I think it's like $230 for three months of um, kind of text-based, phone-based therapy, which is actually still, most studies show, fairly effective for dealing with a lot of kind of lower-grade mental issues. So you might get a lot of use out of that. But I would strongly recommend Talkspace if uh, you're very cost-sensitive and you're trying to find one of these niche mental health providers. Because unfortunately, like I said, a lot of these niche providers don't take insurance. Right. So, yeah, just make sure that it's within your insurance plan. (laughs) Make sure it's in your network. Otherwise, you might assume out-of-network costs, and those can be really pricey. Um, So the second and third um, parts to the question uh, tend to go together. And these are areas that I did not address in my response email, and we figured we would talk about them on long form. So I'll go through both of them and give you a little bit of background on the listener. Um, How does a typically submissive individual go about dating, especially when people treat them as the more take-charge type? Also, have either of you dealt with somebody who is typically straight, yet seems that seems to go out of the window in a DS or dominant-submissive circumstance? Now, the listener did provide some background information, and um, he described himself as being somebody that's, you know, kind of a larger-than-life personality, somebody that is, you know, a little bit type A, somebody that is fairly dominant in most aspects of their life. But when it comes to, you know, uh, DS-style relationships, they tend to be far more submissive, And even though they identify as straight, when presented with the opportunity to be in that kind of an arrangement with another male, um, they melt. It it hits all of their buttons. So there's a little bit of confusion there. 
Right. I think that the, the third question, a bit tongue in cheek, asking uh, us if we've ever dealt with someone like that is perhaps not quite the right question to ask because we've dealt with a lot of people having you know running a sex advice podcast and Metrico used used to work as a drag queen at a at a gay bar in Florida. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure you yeah. pretty much dealt with everything at that point. But um, yeah, I was yeah. going to pull from personal experience yeah. for that one. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll quickly address the third part. There are plenty of men that like the idea of being dominated. And to be quite honest, there is a larger market for male dominance than there is for female dominance. And a lot of men that are submissive can find it to be intimidating to approach a female dom for, you know, sexual play. So it is fairly common to run into straight men that are... I, I, it's, it's, I hate to use the term prison gay, but in order to get those buttons pushed, in order to get those itches scratched, they'll, you know, delve into bisexuality, they'll dive into play with other men because that's the easiest way for them to get release. Um, and in some cases, it's not just about ease. In some cases, the mm-hmm. humiliation aspect of being forced to perform sexually for someone you're not attracted to is actually incredibly erotic. So it can actually right. paradoxically be a turn on if the person is not someone you're attracted to because that actually mm-hmm. ups the ante for the uh, humiliation aspect of what you're doing. If, if humiliation is actually what's turning you on in that scenario, then naturally submitting to someone you're not attracted to could actually be a, a bit of a erotic charge for you. Yeah. So, you know... Really, this comes down to the second point. How does a submissive individual go about dating? And I find if you're looking for somebody that is dominant, so you're looking for a DS-style arrangement relationship. Um, I would recommend in cases like this, um, you use resources available to that community. Um, FetLife is a really great tool in order to find locals in your area that have interest in the DS um, style relationships and would be potentially willing to embark on an adventure with you, embark on a relationship with you. And it's not just limited to other men, it's limited to women. Uh, it, <laughs> limited to women. It's open to everybody. <laughs> wow, got a little bit tongue-tied there, everybody. Sorry about that. It's open to everybody. So there's no, you know, it's it's not just men only. So you're able to find, if you really want to have a female dom, there are plenty of female doms on there that will find every way to itch your every, you know, scratch your every itch. Uh, I will also point so, out that mm-hmm. uh, if you are interested in, uh, as you said, submitting to other males, you can put a profile on a site like Recon, which is a BDSM site devoted to generally uh, gay males, but it really just means an interest in, in males, right? In this case, you're interested in submitting to a male. And you can put right in your profile that you are a typically straight guy who just enjoys you know, the transgression of submitting to another man. And that's going to appeal to a lot of doms. I, you know, that's a very kinky sort of scenario that you're putting yourself in. If you're looking to be objectified and used sexually by a male dominant, that's probably going to be very successful for you if you go on a site like Recon. Um, and you know, right. Fet Life and other you know kink community sites can also be great resources for you. Uh, you might also want to look for any kind of BDSM or polyamory munches in your area, because those are going to generally attract um, you know all, all walks of BDSM and kink. 
And even if you don't meet, you know, your, your female dominant there, you might be able to get a referral to someone who is, you know, in the market for, you know, a straight submissive. So mm-hmm. um, you can definitely network that way through your local polyamory or BDSM community as well. Yeah. So there are plenty of ways for you to get involved in the community, to be involved with the community, and to date within the community in the context of you being a submissive straight male. So lots of resources. Um, hopefully we were able to provide enough for you to you know, seek the you know, type of help that you're looking for and to find the community that best suits your needs both in life and in your relationships. So hopefully this was of some help to you and um, you know, let us know if you have any other questions. And to all of our listeners, if you have questions or feedback or criticisms or concerns, please reach out to us. Um, all of our contact information is on our website, uh, feralattraction.com slash contact. And we actually do have some feedback about last week's episode, um, specifically the opening segment where we discussed the Ojoy sex toy uh, comic about mersuits. And we wanted to kind of go over it um, and uh, just kind of discuss it for a moment because we do value all criticisms and concerns and we would like to address all of them in a timely fashion. So I'll just kind of read it um, for everybody's, I guess, approval. Um, (laughs) Hey Vero, Metrico, and Koji. I appreciate what you do with this podcast and the hard work that goes into it. I've listened to every episode in the past couple of months. I've had a good portion of WTF moments before, But generally, I'm fine if you guys have another opinion than me. But right now, the first part of the episode, uh, again in reference to last week's episode, feels like you live in a bubble. From my side, this podcast has a lot of paranoia over sex negativity either in the webcomic or in Uncle Kage's presentation of the fandom. Kage hasn't been mentioned on the podcast, but on Twitter, in a scolding manner. The overall fear of sex negativity is really blown out of proportion, in my honest opinion. It feels bitter that there hasn't been any acknowledgement what all of these people have done for the fandom or for sex positively and positivity in general. Both Kage and Grey White acknowledge mersuits and sex exist, but don't see it as a main part of the fandom. Maybe I'm fine with their presentation because I experience the fandom from the side of fun, cuddliness, and pretend play. For me, sex is not the main reason why I'm in the fandom, neither is it for my friends in the fandom. For context, I am a straight woman with mostly female friends. I look at furry porn, but I appreciate the craft and the creativity more than I appreciate the sex. For erotic stuff, I prefer porn with humans. I also found partners within the fandom, but furry fandom is not the kink buffet you are portraying it as. I also perceive mersuits as a fringe fetish. I am fine of people like that, but the way I see it, it is something that won't ever be mainstream. Just as people who are into diving suits, uh, diving suits have been popping up in my FetLife stream recently. I don't know how popular they are compared to mersuits. I sometimes wear a diving suit for its intended purpose, and it's fine for me if people get off on them. But in my perception, sex in these clothes is just a minor part of what it is important about them. Comparing the portrayal of mersuits to gay rights is also blowing the thing out of proportions. Just as all kinks, nothing stops a kinkster from marrying the person they want or adopting a kid. There is no reason to tell your parents or to go public that you like doing kinky stuff. There is no need to bring a mersuit to Christmas dinner. I would like this podcast more if there would be a discussion going on. Right now, everyone always agrees on one side. For more balance, you could have requested Grey White, the maker of the comic, to speak with you for 15 minutes. That would have been interesting. Also, I'm not a native English speaker, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, Just letting you know, that was 
perfectly understandable. And for a non-native English speaker, that was very clear and really well written. So thank you for that. Um, let's just address, I guess, one or two points from the feedback. Um, Vera, do you want to lead off? Yeah. So I think there are a couple things going on here. Uh, first off, you know, we are a very sex positive podcast and we do represent the sex positive elements in the fandom. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with this feedback characterization that we have paranoia over sex negativity because I, I know that my, I personally have experienced it. I know Metrico has as well. That there actually is quite a bit of sex negativity and kink shaming that goes on within the fandom, whether that kink might be uh, diaper play or you know baby fur play or mer suits or whatever BDSM equipment. There's lots and lots of kink shaming that goes on in the fandom. And you know neither Metrico nor I propose bringing a suit to Christmas dinner or wearing you know full BDSM gear to a, a meet at a public library, right? That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about sex positivity or you know not engaging in kink shaming. What we're talking about when we're talking about sex positivity is not denying things' existence in the fandom as a way of kind of sanitizing the fandom or making us seem in some way better than we are or less interested in sex than we actually are. You know, most people are sexual and denying that people are sexual and that people's interests bleed into their sexuality and what it is that they respond to sexually is kind of strange. I mean, video game players uh, enjoy characters with big boobs. It's not because they fire guns better, right? That context is sexualized because people are sexual and they tend to sexualize things that interest them. People who are into cars will have pinup magazines with pretty girls laying across the car. The pretty girl doesn't actually add anything to the you know, static of that car unless you have a sexual interest. So, you know, that's kind of what the thing is. And I think, you know, when you're, someone asks you, you know, if people have sex in their fursuits, you know, people have sex in lots of different types of clothing. It's not, I don't think there's any benefit to denying that it happens. Sure, not everyone does it. And maybe, not, you know, we actually know that it's, it's not everyone, for absolutely. But I think as the comic characterized it as being rare, that's a very subjective term. And for me, I think something that's being rare is being something that occurs vanishingly often. And I, we, I think we all know that mersuit sex occurs more than vanishingly often. So, you know, that's, I think, to me, where kind of the, the problem that Metrico and I had with this uh, comic. And, you know, I also draw the comparison to this comic. The reason that we criticized it is not only the content of the comic, but also where it was appearing. This is a comic strip called Oh Joy Sex Toy, whose explicit purpose is to kind of put uh, use of sexual uh, toys and, uh, you know, gear that enhances sexual experience in the context of sex positivity and describing these things as a, as a benefit uh, to, to a relationship and not some kind of detracting or making things icky. So, you know, that would be kind of like Ojoy Sex Toy running a column on, uh, on dildos and talking about how they're really beautiful to display in your mantelpiece and it's, you know, rare for people to actually put them inside of them and they don't actually get used for sex very often, but the glass ones are just really pretty to look at. You know, I think it's kind of a bit of a stretch, but it's certainly that level of argument where, you know, you're kind of downplaying what the purpose of this object is for certain people because for you that's not its purpose. And you can argue that, you know, for most people – Fursuits, the purpose of a fursuit is to, you know, wear it and get all cuddly. But really, when it comes right down to it, the purpose of that fursuit is decided between the person who commissioned that fursuit and the person who made that fursuit. They're the ones who get to decide what the purpose of that item is. You don't get to decide what the purpose of that item is for that person. If they have a kink that is related to fursuits and they ordered that fursuit to be a mer suit, it's not really your place to say that that's not that object's purpose. 
you don't really have to decide what that optics purpose is for that person. So it's totally fine for you not to be interested in that, and it's totally fine for you to say that it's not your interest and that you, the people you associate with in the fandom and your friends are not interested in immersive sex, and that for you, you have no trouble avoiding encountering that material when you don't want to in the fandom. That's all perfectly legitimate to say, and I think that's all perfectly fine. But what I object to is denying that these things exist and that there are people in the fandom who do enjoy them. And that to say that you know no one's having sex in their, in their fursuit because it's hot, uncomfortable, and expensive, that's just kind of throwing out some red herrings, and it's not really accurate. So I think straying into things that are inaccurate in order to portray the fandom in a falsely positive light is where my comfort level drops. I think it's totally fine to say that you know if you were someone in the fandom who is just there for the cuddly aspects and is not there for sex, that it's you know 100% possible to go to a furry uh, you know a furry event or a fur con, and just go to the dealer stand, hang out with your friends, you know trade art, do all that stuff, and never encounter the sexual side of the fandom. And that what people do behind closed doors is their business. I think that's totally legitimate. I'm certainly not saying that everyone should be walking around the fur con in just their underwear with fetish gear dangling off of them. You know, that's not, that's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is that people who choose to engage in those activities privately shouldn't be shamed or told that they don't exist or that they don't represent the fandom because not everyone is doing those activities. That's really, to me, a, a little bit of a bridge too far. So I can talk a little bit, and I'm not going to go too far into depth on this, but when we look at the, the I hate to say, anthropology of the fandom, the history of the fandom from its foundation in the late 80s, early 90s, from spinning off from the science fiction fantasy conventions into its own independent subculture, there definitely was a lot of pressure, especially when we hit the early 2000s, for people to be very open and tolerant and to basically put their freak on and let their freak fly, so to speak. And around the 2000s, uh, 2001, 2002, 2003, there were movements within the fandom in order to regulate that behavior. There was a lot of drama that happened. And then right around that time is when media attention and online trolling became a little bit more prevalent. You had the CSI episode, you had the Vanity Fair article, and a lot of the now what we would consider the pillars of the community really began to help regulate how the media is able to portray us. They were able to control the spin that we give to media in terms of our conventions, in terms of the actual interests of the community. And a lot of that was to downplay the more adult, fetishy, sexy side of the fandom. There's no real estimate in terms of how many people have mersuits. There's no way for us to gather that information, um, unfortunately. That would be a really nice statistic to have. Is it? it it's kind of this, this, it would be very disingenuous of me to say that there are plenty of people that do it. Because I only know from my experience that a lot of the friends that I have, they have fursuits. But I don't know what percentage of people that own fursuits have, you know, sexual intercourse in those fursuits. Um, I'm not able to make that determination. But from my perspective, you know, it's kind of, it's disingenuous to say that it's this rare fleeting fringe interest. Again, there are plenty of other people, uh, categories, for example, on Xtube, where you can watch people in fursuits have sex. This is a little bit more prevalent. It has its own tag. There are lots of sources of media that are dedicated to this. So saying that it's rare is a little bit disingenuous. I, that's really what we disagreed with going back on what Vero said. 
I will say that perhaps my categorization of comparing this to gay rights was perhaps a little bit a step too far. It's um, What I meant by that is there is a right for everybody to have sexual determination and to not be marginalized based off of their sexual preferences or the way that they enjoy having sex. Perhaps I was a little bit off in comparing that, and I do apologize for that if anybody took offense to that. The point that I was trying to make is that it is a bit unfair for people that do not engage in a practice to speak on behalf of people that do engage in that practice. People that engage in mersuiting, they should have the agency to speak about that. Obviously, there is a time, a place, and a circumstance for that. You wouldn't necessarily want to go out to CBS Eyewitness News and say, yeah, look at my you know, specially placed hole, look at this plush that I fuck, look at this inflatable. Obviously, there's a time and a place and a circumstance. We're not saying that everybody should walk in a fursuit parade with their zippers down, cocks out. <laughs> what we are saying is that if people choose to speak with appropriate medias, let's say that FetLife wants to do an interview with people that have mersuits, that they shouldn't be denigrated, they shouldn't be humiliated or publicly dragged for speaking about their sexual practices in an appropriate forum. Likewise, it is okay for us to speak against forms that exist for sex positivity and sexual expression when they offer things that are potentially sex negative. The fandom is, in some aspects, not the sexual buffet that you you know, say that we think it is. Obviously, it's not. There are plenty of G-rated, family-friendly, awesome things. There's a lot of charity events, there's a lot of creativity, a lot of family art, and it's a good, open, toony, wonderful, welcoming place. But saying that the other side doesn't exist, that it's just this fringe, this outer rim that if you ignore is irrelevant to the fandom at large, that's that's incredibly disingenuous. And you're marginalizing a group of people that contribute to the fandom in meaningful ways. So that's really where our offense comes in. That's really where we took offense with this comic, especially coming from people that, you know, coming from a source rather that promotes positivity and sexual activity. Hopefully that clears it up. Um, another point that I do kind of want to make, and I think we've expressed this before, this is not necessarily a debate show. This is not the Model UN. This is not visions and countervisions. This isn't philosophy. We're not here to discuss points and counterpoints, nor are we here to bring on people that might have differing views than we do. We're not going to legitimize an argument that we find to be false, that we find to be sex negative. It would be, for example, if we were to have an episode on, I don't know, the Earth is round. The Earth is a sphere of some kind. It is not flat. We wouldn't want to legitimize somebody that believes the Earth is flat. That goes against the message that takes away time from what we have in order to discuss. I mean, this is a limited show. It's a limited format. It's difficult to budget time away from somebody that is speaking about things that we disagree with. If people want to comment, if people want to offer criticism, we have a contact sheet. They can offer their con- you know, they can offer their criticisms, and we are more than happy to discuss it on the context of this portion of the show. But we're not going to engage in an open debate or an open discussion on the show simply for the sake of having a debate or a discussion. We present things in an ethical, sex-positive fashion. Sometimes we get it wrong. Most of the time, it seems, though, we have gotten it right. If we get it wrong, please call us out. Please let us know that we are wrong. Please show us the information that we have misquoted or misrepresented, and we will be sure to correct it. We have no shame in saying that we are wrong or that we make mistakes, but we're not going to make the mistake of allowing people to have a platform that we find to be incorrect to come onto the show 
and go against the spirit of the show, which is yet again, ethical sexual activity with a focus on non-monogamy and sex positivity. Right. And, you know, we do have a slant. We never claim to be objective in the information that we're providing. When we're giving things like STI statistics and facts, of course, we're going to present that information objectively. But when we're giving anything else, it's an advice show. Advice is, by its definition, editorialized, and it's going to be coming from our point of view. If what you are looking for is not an advice show and is, in fact, some kind of debate show or roundtable discussion... Uh, that's a great idea for a podcast, but that is not our podcast. And so you're looking to the wrong place if that's what you're looking for. And if there is enough interest in having that with us, then maybe that's another show we could explore. That would be something that could potentially be fun and exciting. But Indeed, in context, but this, is an, this is an advice show, exactly. Yeah. In context of this show, unfortunately, it does not suit the format. So maybe in the future, we'll have another show where we're able to entertain such ideas. But for the time being, we're going to continue giving our advice, our opinions, our experiences. We're going to continue pointing out the mistakes that we've made. We're going to continue pointing out the pitfalls that we've had in our relationships and our lives so we can help other people avoid them. One of those is avoiding sex negativity. So thank you for your feedback. Um, Again, it was very well written, especially since you specified you're not a native English speaker. And I'm glad that you're enjoying the show and Even though you have disagreements, I'm glad that you're still enjoying it. So thank you very much and hope that you enjoy our future episodes. Speaking of future episodes, next week we're doing a very popularly requested episode, especially for younger gay furs. Next week, we're taking you to church. It's Anal Sex 101. We're going to learn you something good about your asshole. And we will also be having some guest contributions from our sound engineer and my loving Fox partner, Koji, who is currently out on a shopping extravaganza here in (laughs) Seattle, getting us still set up with our stuff. But I will tell you that Koji is quite the expert Fox in every way you could possibly mean that. So... Uh, he will he'll provide some of his lovely fox knowledge, uh, which may be of use to some younger foxes and other submissive creatures in the fandom <laughs> as of hey, next you could, week. You could be any creature and be submissive, let me tell you. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Foxes so, have a certain something to them that just, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, so that's going to be next week. Um, again, if you have questions leading up to the episode, if you have specific questions about your butthole, please ask, male or female. We will we will teach you all about the inner workings. Our contact page is on our website, www.fairlattraction.com slash contact. We have a Telegram group, Twitter, everything imaginable that you can get into touch with us on. And we are more than happy to entertain your questions. Please note that you know, there is a delay in us being able to respond to questions. So if you require urgent assistance with something, please make us you know, aware that it is something urgent. But we, are on, you know, we do live our own lives. We're not on 24-hour call. You know, please don't expect an immediate turnaround if you happen to message us um, asking a question. Please right. know that there will be delays. Yeah, and you know, I will say at this point we're getting so many questions that – we can't actually guarantee an individualized response to every question that we get, and we can't guarantee that we can give you an immediate private response to some things that we will answer eventually on the advice column or on the podcast. So we absolutely do love your questions. We read all of them, and we catalog them, we enter them into a big database when we are choosing which questions to answer. But at the end of the day, we are only two people who lead very active, busy lives and have full-time jobs. So 
we're not going to be able to answer absolutely every question we get, especially if it starts getting to the point where you know, questions are a little bit repetitive or covering topics we've addressed before. Um, we might direct you to you know search our site or link you to a few of the articles or podcasts we've already done, but we can't guarantee an individual response to absolutely every question. Yeah, but seriously though, thank you for your questions. It's great to have such a positive response, and it's great to have you know a lot of people place their trust and uh, value in our opinions and our advice. So Some thank of them you for that. Put their dollars in front of our opinions as well. We we thank all of our Patreon supporters. If you are one of the individuals uh, or the critters supporting us at one of the higher donation tiers where you get to get perks out of us besides a hearty thank you. Um, do feel free to let us know. Let us know how you'd like us to acknowledge you on the show if you have purchased a tier that uh, gets you a shout-out. We actually haven't any, had anyone take us up on that so far. But if you'd like to prove to us that you are donating at that level and would like a shout-out or to cash in one of your con meetups with one of us, um, do let us know. We'd be happy to do that. We are, in fact, actually obligated to based on that verbal uh, written agreement. So now, now, now you can compel us to meet up with you. It's pretty, pretty great. <laughs> also, if you're not you know, able or willing or desire to make a financial contribution or you don't have a question, if you're enjoying the show on iTunes or on Google Play, please leave us a review. Please uh, rate us and tell us about what you think, what you don't like. That really helps us in terms of our visibility on those platforms. And it also just kind of makes us feel nice that we're not howling into an empty abyss. It, it, it's please, you know, if you have the moment, please take that time. It really helps us out in terms of visibility, as I said. So, um, that being said, um, again, it's we do want to apologize for any kind of odd audio quality issues. We are still in the process of getting microphones set up and studios set up. Um, you know, the move that Vero made over to the other coast away from me. Um, I'm trying not to cry about that still. <laughs> um, you know, it does take its toll and it does unfortunately take time to get everything spooled back up. But we will be back shortly with um, perhaps higher quality audio. And um, thank you for sticking with us in the meantime. It's um, We understand that these are a little bit of rougher growing pains, but hopefully you don't find this episode too terrible in terms of audio and you still enjoy hearing our lovely voices in your head. Indeed. So next week, anal sex. We're going to get into it. I'm Metrico. I'm Drew the Science Collie. Be well. Thank you.